discuss a little bit um, about the Tanya uh, that we study here every day. Um, generally, the Tanya is the basic Hasidic uh, book. It's called the Torah Shebek It's like the written Torah. Just as we have the uh, Torah that Moshe gave us, the Hasidic written Torah of Chabad. And also, there is the general Hasidus, and then there is Hasidus Chabad, there is the Chabad uh, philosophy. The basic Chabad philosophy has been put into the book of the Tanya. Now, the book of the Tanya has now, the way we have the book now, it has five sections. But it went through many, many evolutions, which means it had a first edition, and then they had a second edition, and then they added other sections to the Tanya, we have the first section. In the present format, the Tanya has five sections to it. The first section known as Likute Amorim, that is the first section. Then there is a small section called Chinuch Cotton. Uh, then there is a section called Igeres Hatshuva, the letter of repentance. Then there's a section called Igeres HaKodesh, letters, holy letters. And then what's called Kuntras Achrin. Uh, these are the five sections of the Tanya. Now they've been combined. Now we call it all Tanya. It's been reprinted endless amount of times. I mean endless amount. You know, over thousands and thousands of times. The Rebbe actually encouraged them to print it in every place, in every city, in every country, every city, in every, in every uh, section, every community, to print the Tanya. So the Tanya has been printed. And they have in the every Tanya they... They write what number it is, you know, where they're standing, what, what edition of the Tanya it is. But basically, at this point, all the Tanyas are the same. They have the five, five sections. Uh, the sections, of course, deal different things, and a lot of it is the Hasidic philosophy, a lot of it is the human experience, a lot of it has to do with helping people out in their predicaments. A lot of them is predicaments, whether it's physical, whether it is spiritual, emotional predicaments, how to get closer to God, how to serve God, and then various different topics are discussed. There's also Kabbalah, there is certain uh, uh, discussions of how to reconcile various different uh, parts of the Kabbalah and the different things. Now, uh, the way it was set up by the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, that one should cover a cycle of the entire Tanya once a year. So, which means that we start, today we finish, the 18th day of Kislev we finish, and then we start anew. Tomorrow, the 19th of Kislev, we start, and therefore, when we go through the year, we will have covered the entire book of Tanya. Now, we know that some years are leap years, which means they have an extra month. Uh, like this coming year has a leap year because we're having now, we're going to have two Adars. So there are two separate schedules. One schedule goes for a leap year and another schedule goes for a regular year. And uh, these, both of these schedules were made by the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe to um, have a certain piece learned every day. It's interesting that at some point these schedules uh, meet 
um, and which means that the leap year schedule will catch up to the regular schedule, even though it has more days. And then yet it goes apart in a separate way also. They don't continue, in other words, even from the point where they meet at the same point, they'll still later on go differently. So there is something very spiritual and meaningful for each day. Each day that we study that day, it's not just to take a piece, but it means that it's meaningful for that day. Just like we know that the Parsha Chumash, we should always find something from the portion of the day, um, something to apply to our lives. Same thing is from the portion of Tanya, we should always apply to our lives. And sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes we have to dig, and sometimes we have to sit and figure out how to find the message in the lesson. But certainly, uh, the Baal Shem Tov said that from everything that a person sees or hears, he must take out a lesson. And he has to say to himself, why did I hear about this? And that applies to positive things, or even if you hear sometimes negative things. And uh, if you hear something negative, it's also a message for you. In, in, in many ways. Uh, and we, we know that we can demonstrate that to many tzaddikim, by many rebbe's, in other words, that we had this idea that whenever they heard something or whatever they uh, learned something, they would take that idea and apply it to them. So the same thing is by the sheer tanya that we learn every day, it's important that we uh, take out something, a message. Now, the last two sections that we study which is also the, um, actually the ninth, they call it, if you want to divide it up into uh, chapters, it's the ninth chapter, the ninth and the final chapter. By the way, five sections would correspond to the written Torah, which has five books. And another interesting thing is actually, five-fifths of the Tanya. The only thing is that it's not actually evenly broken up. The largest of the pieces is the first section of the Tanya. And then uh, later on comes the Geris HaKodesh, and then the Geris HaTshuva, and then the Kuntus Achron. So it's not really equal five parts, it's not fifths really. The Torah is basically fifth, it's approximately, not also exactly, but it's fifth. But over here it's in five sections. But it's also interesting that there are 53 uh, portions of the Torah, and there's also 53 chapters in the first section of Tanya itself. So that's another, uh, uh, and then the number 53 spells out the word gan, garden. The uh, esoteric part of Torah is also treated and considered to be like a garden, like in the Garden of Eden. So that was where the esoteric parts of Torah are. So that's part of it. It is also said that the Alter Rebbe was incarcerated for 53 days when we celebrate Yutas Kislev. And that corresponds to these uh, chapters and the, sort of the uh, attempt to try to silence him and then uh, he overcame. Because the, the, the Tanya was printed before the Rebbe was uh, incarcerated. And I think one of the uh, strongest uh, uh, things the Rebbe had, the Alter Rebbe had, that he was a great leader. And he drew the masses to himself. It was just, he was like a magnet. And the other side, sort of at the time, uh, the non-Hasidim, to say politely, the non-Hasidim, they were very worried because the Alter Rebbe seemed to draw. And he had hundreds of thousands of followers. And the book of Tanya was one of the 
forces, one of the uh, published works from the Alter Rebbe that drew all these people into Hasidim. So, you know, the Tanya has become like the, the book which people um, were afraid of, uh, that this book is going to draw the people. But it's, it's not a book that you can just pick up and read. That's the thing. Most of it is a book that you have to study. Uh, and the Alter Rebbe, in the beginning of his introduction, he writes that he's asking the people who are more learned that they should explain to the other people what is written in the Tanya. He asks the people, and he also asks specifically, he says, don't behave in a modest way or trying to be humble and say, oh, I don't know, I don't understand. He says, you should go ahead and, and educate and tell people some of the ideas of the Tanya. But... Today, because we actually heard the Tanya today, but today because it is the last day of the year and we studied Tanya, I wanted to go through a little bit slower today's chapter of Tanya, just not to read it, but perhaps to study it for a few minutes, to go through it and try to see what the Alter Rebbe writes. This last section of Tanya is not like a, a, a portion of the old. This is, looks like actually... Uh, I didn't look it up. It looks like a letter from the Rebbe. It's a letter that was put into the last section of the Tanya. Again, like I said, this, the portions of the Tanya were put together. They were pieced together at the end to make up the book of Tanya. This, by divine providence or by special intention, was placed at the very end of the Tanya as the last day of the Tanya of the Hasidic uh, year. And this talks about very mundane, very simple things. And here... The Rebbe comes across like one who is trying to steer his community to do the right things. And one of the emphasis that the Alter Rebbe had is for prayer. He wanted people to pray properly instead of just doing it in rote, just coming in there and to really do and feel the meaning of prayer. And of course, in order to do that, you have to spend some time doing that and you have to create the atmosphere, the right setting for people to, 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 to pray properly. So now, I know sometimes you'll say, well, we come into the shul, people daven so quickly, it doesn't really fit with what the Alter Rebbe says. So if it was a perfect world, we would do everything as it says in the Tanya, and then I'm sure, you know, Mashiach would be here already. But the problem is, uh, we're still working on perfecting ourselves, and at least we study this, we know where we have to reach if we're not there yet. Uh, we live in a, in, in a time that we're happy that we make a time to go to shul, to, to even, uh, even, even spend time in the shul, uh, to, to, to say amen, or, or just at a simple level. So we're not going to worry about uh, saying, well, if I'm not going to daven for an hour or two, or I'm just going to daven quickly, but at least I daven, at least I put on the tefillin, at least I do something. Of course, that is the most important to do the mitzvah, but yet we can't forget that it's of utmost important also to realize where we want to get, where we want to be, what we really expected from us, what prayer really means. If we don't keep in mind where prayers really mean it, so then eventually we'll forget about everything and then it won't really mean to us. Then prayer won't have really the real meaning. So even while we can't do it all fully, it's important still to study and to learn. Because I say this is because sometimes when you read some of the material over here, it seems way over your head and you don't think that you could ever perhaps live up to this. So why am I studying this? You know, let me, uh, let me just do some of the more simple things. But it's important also to know at that level. So 
he, he starts off the, this, this chapter 9 by using the words of the uh, Torah. The Torah has a special commandment. The Torah has an obligation. He says, if you see somebody else doing something wrong, it's your responsibility to make him aware of that. You can't just look away and say, it's not my business, you know, let him do whatever he does. We, as a Jewish people, take responsibility. We have to take responsibility for one another. We have sort of uh, made a covenant before the Jewish people entered Israel. It happened the second time. It was at the time of the Torah was given. We have taken a covenant. We've made a promise. We have formed a covenant with God that we will take responsibility for one another. And if we see somebody else lacking, we are going to take some responsibility for the other person. And we're going to say to him. Now, of course, when we say something to somebody else, we have to say it out of love. We shouldn't get, we shouldn't say it in a hateful way. We shouldn't say it in a way to hurt the other pe- person. As in the verse itself, where the verse talks about rebuking, it says first you must love the fellow. So it's like a father who is trying to steer his child in the right direction. So he doesn't abuse the child. Unfortunately, that happens sometimes too. But the right way is because the parent loves the child, he disciplines him and puts him into the right place and he will tell him. Why will a father tell his child not to run around and he won't tell somebody else's child? Because his child is concerned about, not only because it's his responsibility, because of a love, because he cares about his child. So if his own child misbehaves, uh, then he uh, wants to steer him in the right direction. Perhaps he doesn't care so much about another person's child. So the same thing is really we should feel about any other Jew. We should feel that way. When we uh, love the other person truly, and we care about them, and we see them doing something wrong, then we rebuke them. We sort of try to help them out. Now, sometimes the unfortunate situation is people say, leave me alone. Don't tell me what to do. In other words, in America, we say, mind your own business. You know, don't tell me what to do. And it's very hard. Sometimes people who, especially when you talk about adults and they're not your child and they don't have to listen to you. And, you know, if you're going over to them and you say to them, oh, are you Jewish? Do you want to put on tefillin or come to shul? He'll say, it's none of your business if I'm Jewish and it's none of your way. Why are you telling me what I should do? Now, he may sometimes be offended. You're not going to tell, you're going to tell well, I'm responsible for you. But the reality is that, first of all, a lot of people are waiting for somebody to push the button. You know, they have, if you push the right button, a lot of people are looking for somebody to reach out to them. And so even on a revealed level, even on a conscious level, there are so many people out there, even though they say no, 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 but they, yes, 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 they want, they're looking for spirituality. They're looking for somebody to make them aware. If a person makes a mistake, uh, he may say, oh, don't tell me about mistake, but... But if you say it to the other person, not out of spite, not out of hate, not out of anger, but you say it to the person with love and with concern, a lot of times all what you need is the person, yeah, of course, I'm Jewish. You just reminded me that I'm Jewish. Yeah, and I would like to put on the tefillin, and I would like to learn about what is tefillin. Now, the Rebbe brings an analogy. Sometimes you have a person who is sleeping, and he's having such sweet dreams like he's in La La Land, and he's just overcome with joy and then there's a fire burning in the house and he's about to, 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 to be destroyed the house is about to burn down and he's in there and you go wake him up he says no <laughs> I want to sleep 
I'm having a, such a beautiful dream. I don't want to wake up. Now, at the time that he's sleeping, he, he won't actually appreciate you waking him up. He'll actually say, leave me alone. I want to dream. I, want to, I don't want to be uh, uh, woken up right now. But eventually, when you wake him up and he comes to his senses, he will tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you for waking me up. Because now you saved my life. How many hundreds of thousands of Jewish people we see reality say, thank you for waking me up. I didn't know. Nobody woke me. Nobody told me. And now you came and woke me up. Maybe I tried to reject you at first. Maybe I tried to tell you no. So therefore, the Alter Rebbe starts off this sentence by saying, that one must rebuke his, uh, his friend, his fellow, and it's interesting, the verse writes here a double language. Hoicheyach, means rebuke, you shall rebuke your fellow. Why doesn't it just say, Hoicheyach, rebuke your fellow? Why say, rebuke, you should rebuke? So the Talmud learns from this, Afilu Even if a hundred times, even if you have already rebuked him, and again, you've told him, and you've mentioned to him, and he didn't listen, do it again. And it says even 100 times. 100 times is not a cutoff point. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to make a count. But it means you shall continuously remind him. Now, there are certain laws and rules. You know, if a person gets angry at you, you don't have to. There's laws of how much you should do, depending on what you see the other person do. Sometimes we will apply a rule that if a person is doing something accidentally, you're making him aware that he's making a mistake and he's going to do it anyways, maybe you're better off not telling them so they shouldn't be violating intentionally maybe they're better off not knowing sometimes you know, if you know, if you're a doctor and you know the person isn't going to do what he's supposed to be doing anyways, maybe you're not going to tell him because what are you going to tell him because it's just going to cause him further, you know, doing the wrong things, you know, sometimes but there are certain rules of the Torah so we're, we're not talking about there's exceptions, there's laws of the Torah, there's laws of the rabbis, there's laws of the guy yells at you back, it tells you don't bother me, there is various different rules apply. But generally we say that one must rebuke his fellow even hundred times. This is the opening of the statement that the Alter Rebbe was trying to tell the people, listen, I'm saying to you again and again because I must say this to you. And he's telling the people into uh, modifying and bettering their behavior. And he uses language, he says, I cannot hold myself back to be quiet. I cannot hold myself back and be quiet. To try to yell further, to further yell out or fuse, 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 again speak about this. Using the language, a paraphrase from the Torah, with a voice that announces in a soft voice. So he's saying, the, uh, it says, uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the camp, so he says, uh, uh, uses the language of koila nois, the language of, of response. But he says this will be a chalusha, a soft voice. In other words, with, a, with a, a voice of care, compassion. He's saying, I'm, not, I'm yelling, but yelling with a, with a soft voice, sort of. Uh, not, I'm yelling, you're telling you what to do, but in a loving way. Basically, as he continues, he says, I beg of you, he says, with 
great mercy, you know, I'm begging you with great mercy, please have mercy on your souls. He's asking them to have mercy on their souls. And then what is he telling them? uses two times, very, very much, be very careful, be very, very careful. He uses two languages of being careful and being meticulous, al for the study of Torah, and also on the service of the heart. What is the service of the heart? I'm talking about, he says, praying with, directing your heart with your mind. Kavana means with the proper intention. So I'm asking you to have mercy on your souls, to daven, to learn, and to daven with Kavana. What is he saying? He's saying, Everybody should start davening together. Not mila bimila, word for word. Everybody should say word for word together. Not one starts here, this such, and this one is such. One person is say anything. The other one is just talking about uh, talk, just uh, plain talk. Hashem Yishrei Meireinu, may God protect us. So the davening, the way he saw in Shul, everybody doing their own thing and people doing and people schmoozing in the middle, he says, that's not the way. He says, V'ikar hasiba ugrama benizikin. He says, the main cause, he says, the main reason why we have problems, why, there is, why do we have problems, again, he says, that's the main, that's what he says there. The main problem is, he says, The main trouble we have is from the people that lead the services. He says, that's the main problem. Why? Because he says, that's his advice. He says, It's become free. Anybody who stretches his leg, meaning everybody, anybody can just go to lead the services. He's calling him one who grabs, you know, the importance. Efrosi means uh, like an important person. When people grab the title, they want to lead the services. That's one reason. So either, why is one praying? Either because he's just, thinks that he's important and he runs. Or there's another reason. Nobody else wants to go. So nobody else wants to go. So he goes. So that's, uh, that's, so that's the problem. He says the main thing is the one who's leading the services. He's putting the blame on the one who's leading the services. He says, So therefore, since this is the problem, this is the advice that I'm advising you. And this should be a set rule, he said. This should be a rule not to be passed again, God forbid. What is the rule? To choose fitting people set for this job. There should be set people fit for the job of leading the services. How do you pick these people? Either you throw a lottery, you throw a lottery, or by getting the agreement of the majority of the minion. Now, of course, we're not going to get the, everybody's agreement. If you get a majority to agree on someone, by the way, there is halachas in the Shulchan Aruch, how one should appoint various different uh, appointments in the shul, whether it's a rabbi, whether it's a chazan, whether it's somebody to lead the services, all different kinds of, of, of things. It's really a, 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 you know, just a, a one, leading this, one, one who leads the services. And again, we have to put this in, place this in the settings of 
the time of the Alter Rebbe and learn for our cases. We're, we're not in exactly in those circumstances over there. I mean, we're studying what the Alter Rebbe wrote for the people then. We have to apply it to our days in the best we can. Uh, today, like for example, uh, we have people that have your site will get uh, preference if they wish to lead the services according to halacha. Um, and a lot of times it's people uh, that have uh, your site will come to shul to daven. If they don't have your site, sometimes they don't even come to shul into to daven. So it's we, we're dealing with other circumstances. It depends also if you live in Brooklyn or in uh, Israel in a in a uh, heavily settled uh, religious community where you can uh, implement more uh, to the uh, letter of what's written over here and other places because you know you have to sometimes um, accommodate not halacha doesn't change but within halacha to accommodate and to go by the means that you have. You don't have always the means. So basically what I guess I'm saying is the Alter Rebbe's instruction isn't for exceptional circumstances like for a Chabad house in which they have a hard time getting a minion together of the, of 10 people and how to do it. You can't apply all these rules there. So we have to put it in, in context, in perspective, in the right perspective. But yet we still get a good sense what the Alter Rebbe wants, what is expectation from us as individual, even if we cannot implement fully the, um, the, the, the letter of the law over here, the letter of the rules. So he says, so either you get a lottery or you get the most of the minion to agree. Now, what should these people do with that? Okay, so let's say we've, the fitting people, what makes them fitting? How do they daven? So he says, the Hainu Shemispalalim that they pray milo bimilo word for word, word for word, the derech hamitzua in the middle way, ram with a loud voice. So he has two requirements here. He doesn't say no extremes. He says go the middle way with a loud voice. Middle way, it's understood simply because not too short, not too long. He'll specify and a loud voice so the other people around him can hear what he's saying, so they can be together. Otherwise, if he's going to mumble over there, it's going to be quiet. People are not going to be able to be along. So he says both. He says, They should not make it too long. If you put them down too long, that's also no good. Now, what is too long, what is too short? Again, he doesn't say over here. Also not too short, and that they should fast, grab, God forbid. That's also no good. So you have to have the middle way. Now you see clearly in this point is another letter the Alter Rebbe specifies an hour, uh, two hours, whatever he specifies over there, the time. But over here he doesn't specify because again, this probably would, would go by the, its particular uh, shul, uh, what, the, what their minion is. Because if the minion starts at uh, 7.15 and most of the minion has to be by 8.15 they have to go to work, so then all what you have is an hour to daven, then you have to make it work within that hour. And if you can't start it earlier, or that's, what, that, that's the way it ends up working out. So you have to do it, but within reason. But the point is here, that the one who davens should daven in the middle way, not long and not fast, and do it with a loud voice. And he says, It's upon them, 
is the obligation to descend before the teva, the box. That was because the uh, some of the uh, people would have the amud lower down to represent it. So it's called always lated to descend. Uh, and they would go past the ark, which is the teva. So that's the mean for a chazan. It's called lated lifnea teva, to descend before the box, to go down and then to go lower. Uh, the verse says, from the depth I call you Hashem. This was a tradition to have the uh, uh, Amud, the place with Davin, a little lower. But anyway, that means to lead the services. Uh, each one and one on the day that is his turn, that it reaches him that day, he should go ahead and Davin. And what should he do? The The one who leads should gather around him, close to him, all those who daven at least a little bit loud. In other words, the other people should also daven a little bit loud. I'll come next to him. And also, they're also not whispering. Also not quick. So you have them around you. As has been articulated in the old rules have been instituted in many cities, so this has been the rules that this is the way to lead the services. So, in other words, what goes on in the back of the shul, you know, like by us, is all right, that's not so much concern. The main thing is you have to have at least a minion, but the problem is when you only have a minion, <laughs> or, or, yeah, that's, that's, then we have a problem. So he says, but the Rebbe writes, So the Rebbe is basically saying, I'm not coming to make up new rules. These are rules that have been already established in many cities. They've been written and they've been established. But I'm coming now to renew them, to strengthen them, and to give them power, those rules, so they should not anymore ever fall and falter. Those rules should stay strong. And he writes here, in the Rebbe's handwriting, he writes, Gewalt, Gewalt. This is sort of a expression of in Yiddish of saying, "Whoa, whoa!" You know, they're, they're like really showing how much it pains him by saying, "At most years alone, How long will this behavior of not organizing ourselves to davening proper be to us for a stumbling? Because the Rebbe felt, as he said before, that this is a cause. For some of the tzuras, some of the problems that the Jewish people are experiencing is is because of the lack of really doing the things in the right way. And the Rebbe says, And it's not sufficient to us with all the rebuke and all the troubles that we already passed over us. May God protect us. May Him comfort us. Twice as much to help us. Let him pure our hearts. We ask Hashem, let him pure our hearts so to serve him with truth. Because all these things, you know, need to be done with the purity of heart. We should really uh, pray to Hashem that he help us pure our hearts. Because sometimes it's very difficult for a person himself to really be 100% genuine, 100% pure heart, do things for exactly the right purpose, it's hard to really reach that level. So we ask Hashem, you pure our hearts, so Hashem should pure our hearts so we can serve Him with truth. 
And he ends up be strong and courageous. Your hearts, let them be strong and courageous. All those who seek and look out to Hashem. Stay strong. I think that he's saying is, you know, don't pay attention if around you in the shul there's other things and there's other, other ideas. Stay strong, do what's right, and, uh, and the Ebishter will help. Then he goes on to say another thing request. He says, Gam kol shana He says, we should complete the entire Talmud every year. Imagine, he's asking for people to finish the entire Talmud the whole year. Today, if they study one page a day, a page which is two sides, two, two page, two sides, it takes them seven years to finish. Okay? And here he wants you to finish the entire Talmud once a year. How is one going to finish the entire Talmud once a year? You know, I hope he can finish one page of Talmud in the year. <laughs> I'm going to finish the entire Talmud. So he says like this, wait, wait a minute, he's giving you a little bit of a break over here. He says what happens is you join people together, you join forces together. So what happens is, what you do is like this, he says, In every city and city, you distribute all the tractates. So you give to every person one tractate. So you don't have to do all the tractates, but each person, so that you finish together, a combined finishing. How do you distribute it? Two ways he gives, two suggestions. Either either you throw a lottery, so you get whichever tractate you get. Or people willingly says, I take this one, you take that one. And... That way you combine and complete the entire tractate. Now, in the time of the Alter Rebbe, these people knew how to study a lot, so they can take a whole tractate. And what happens, it doesn't say it here, but what happens if the tractate is too much? So then presumably uh, you can divide up each tractate in, how many, in the pages. You can give each person to do a couple of pages. And, you know, like I said, there is, you have to figure out it's seven, 365 times... Uh, uh, times seven is how much is uh, it'll give you what three thousand uh, whatever pages of the Talmud uh, if you're going to divide it you're going to need three thousand people to participate to finish the Talmud if everybody's going to do one page but in here he's talking about each one should take one tractate the fortunate thing is the tractates vary in the size like you have a tractate which is only like 12 pages Okay, and then you have a tractate which is 170 pages or uh, 75 pages, 76 pages, yeah, 75 pages. So you have you have a very tractate. So people, you can choose, you know, uh, anyone you want, you know, whichever one you want, if you're going to take a whole tractate. But the thing is, uh, how do you do this? It says in every city and city. So basically what you do, you have each city is going to finish the entire Talmud. How are they going to finish the entire Talmud? Uh, because you're going to divide it in this, within the city. Now, that is provided if that city has like not too many people. But what happens, it has like say one minion, it has one big shul where everybody davens. So if everybody gets together, uh, then you divide it between all the people. But what happens if Yishiyesh Baminyonim Harbe? If it's a city that has many minions, he doesn't call them many shuls, but it has many minions, so they have like a different minyonim. So yigburu b'chol minyon a minyon. So every minion, every minion you have, they should make their own distribution. We're worried about distributing the entire Talmud between some people over there. 
they can distribute, they were all learned people, so they can distribute the Talmud in every minion. You know, whatever minion is, we're going to distribute it in the minion. Rabbi? Yeah? Um, in, in the like, young Israel, Yitzchayim um, community, and maybe in Chabad too, when someone dies for the raising of that person's neshama for one year, everyone in the community volunteers to take one of the tractates. And sometimes if it is a long tractate, Two or more people. Will yeah, that's 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 done all the time. Yes. Now, what happens if there is not enough people in a minion? Too much. They can't cover the entire Talmud. Too small from being able. Uh, they should combine some people from another larger minion to help them. Uh, Finish their minion too. So if they they can't have enough people to distribute the entire Talmud, they should take from a larger minion to combine with them. The Baal Yishuna, this should never be changed. Choik Yaver. This is a rule that shall not pass. This is the way it should always be. Now, he adds another thing, and another two instructions. We're going to be finished in a few minutes here. So he says like this: V'kol echod ve'echod mehalimdim hanal. Each one of these people that study, another thing he's asking of them. Yigmer la'atzme b'chol shavua. So every week they should complete hatmanye apya shebetihilim kufyutes. The ten faces that are in the Psalms 119. Now we learned some people do it on Mincha on Shabbos. Chapter 119 of Tilim has eight faces. What does it mean has eight faces? It has each letter of the olive base eight times. The verses start with eight times Aleph, eight times Beis, eight times Gimel. Each verse starts. They're called the Tmanya, the eight faces. Those are the section of Kufu test. He's saying that once a week, everybody who studies, in addition to their studying the Oral Torah, they should also go ahead and do once a week the chapter 119 of Tillin, which is called Tamane Apir. And like I said, some people have the tradition to do this, doesn't say it over here, to do it between Mincha and Mariv on Shabbos. And then finally he says like this, because our generation is weak, and we don't have the power, we don't have the strength, people individually, all individuals don't have the strength to fast as fitting for him. In the uh, code of Jewish law, and especially according to the Kabbalah, fasting is something which is done in order to atone for sins, for things that you have, mis- misdeeds that you have done. Fasting is a sense of subduing yourself and causing yourself to th- reflect on Hashem. But the Alter Rebbe writes very strongly in the Geras HaTeshuvah, in the letter of Teshuvah, that nowadays, in which we don't have the koyach, we don't have the power, the strength to really fast. And if we will fast, uh, then that would cause us to not be able to study Torah, not to be able to function and do other things properly. So we're going to be losing more than gaining by fasting in that way. So we need need to be able to uh, sort of... uh, make up to compensate for the fact that we're not fasting properly as described, as prescribed by in the Halacha and in the Kabbalah, in the other Sepharim, on the Musar Sepharim that require a person to fast. So how do we compensate for that? In the Geras at Shuvah, the Alter Rebbe writes 
that the main way to compensate for that is through tzedakah. That if you give to charity, charity is something that can substitute for the fasting. And also he says that, wow, a person should fast a little bit. But in this idea, the Rebbe says, since we can't fast, is so what is the advice that I can advise is, is like our saying of our sages. Our sages say that Kol Hashoimer Shabbos Kil one who keeps the Shabbos as the law of Shabbos, he's forgiven for all of his sin. So basically, keeping the Shabbos has the power by our sages to atone for all sins. The reason why a person would want to fast on on, on Shabbos, on a fast, uh, fast would be so that he if he made a mistake, so his fasting should be an atonement. But he's saying over here, our sages say, keeping Shabbos the way the rule is can help you atone for all your sin. But the Rebbe reflects on one word. Why does it say here, it doesn't say anybody who keeps Shabbos. It just says, if you keep Shabbos, as the law of Shabbos. Keeping Shabbos means, by, by, de- by definition it means, why does he have to say, you keep the Shabbos like its law, like its law, you know, fully like its law. In the simple meaning, it just means to emphasize you keep all of Shabbos. But the Rebbe says over here, Kilchosoy Daike, like its law specifically. And the Alter Rebbe is going to explain, like its law in its fullest capacity, also in the inner meaning of Shabbos. So he's going to explain like this. So he says like this. You have to learn, first of all, he says, Hilchosoy, the laws. That a person should study it is the obligation it's placed on every one and one in the many laws of Shabbos the many laws, Shabbos has so many laws that one needs to be an expert in them because if you don't really know the laws of Shabbos you might inadvertently not even realizing that you're doing something which violates the Shabbos. So there are so many laws. Now the laws of Shabbos are not called just laws. They're called Hilchaser Rabsol the Shabbat. Many laws of Shabbos. And uh, so one needs to be an expert uh, in these laws of Shabbos. But he says further. It also means, he says, V'gam yizoyer mi'oid. That a person should be very careful. Shaloy losuach sum shum sicha betelach He says in Shabbos, don't speak anything which is in vain, which is no, which is not Torah, which is not mitzvahs. Don't just idle talk, just plain schmoozing, not do that on Shabbos. He's going to equate, he says, Hashem created the world through his speech. Because it says that Yomer Hashem, Hashem said the world became, everything became. It says with ten saying, Hashem created speech. What happened on Shabbos? Hashem stopped creating. Hashem stopped speaking. The same thing is, a whole week we talk. Shabbos, we're supposed to emulate what Hashem has, has done, and we also have to stop speaking. So we shouldn't be talking on Shabbos. God forbid. No, it seems a little extreme, but uh, you choose the wrong day to join the class. <laughs> but, so, he says, Now the Rebbe explains the inner meaning of Shabbos. Just like we have this simple uh, 
outward Shabbos, which means not to do work on Shabbos. And also, we have two mitzvahs. Now, if you take a look in the Ten Commandments, they're almost identical. There's very few changes between the Ten Commandments, the way they're brought down in the book of Exodus, in Shemois, in the portion of Yisrael, which is the first time where the Torah says the Ten Commandments. And then you have another time, again, repeating what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying in the book of Devarim, in the book of Deuteronomy, in a portion of there when he reviews the Ten Commandments, he almost repeats word for word. But there is one, one of the differences is it says, in one place it says, Zohar es Yom HaShabbos Lekadshoi, remember the day of Shabbos to, to make it holy. And in the other one it says, Shomer es Yom HaShabbos Lekadshoi, guard the day of Shabbos to keep it holy. So what was it? What did Hashem say? Did he say, Zohar? Did he say, remember the Shabbos? Or did he say, keep the Shabbos? So we say he said both. He said them together, Zohar and Shomer, Hashem can do these things. So in one place, he mentions what Hashem said, Zohar, remember? The other say, say Shomer, guard. What's the difference between Zohar and Shomer? Zohar is the positive, that you have to remember the Shabbos, meaning you have to sanctify the Shabbos. If we make Kiddush and Shabbos, we honor the Shabbos, we delight in the Shabbos. All the positive mitzvahs that we do on Shabbos, those are the positive, those are the Zohar, remembering the Shabbos. Shomer is keeping the Shabbos, means not to doing things to desecrate the Shabbos, that we're guarding the Shabbos, and we're not doing any malach, any work on Shabbos. So that's why we have these two things. And we also have these spiritual counterparts. On one hand, in the inner meaning, remembering the Shabbos, meaning to dedicating ourselves more on the Shabbos to Hashem, to the Torah, to uh, a meaningful connection with Hashem. While during the week we are preoccupied with everything uh, mundane work, we are supposed to on the Shabbos rest, not only in the uh, physical sense, but not only to sanctify the Shabbos by making the Kiddush and eating well, but also dedicating ourselves to the Shabbos. That's the inner meaning of Zohar. And we also have the Shomer of refraining, just like we refrain from doing the actual malacha work on Shabbos, we also refrain from speaking idle talk on Shabbos. This is what he's going to say. So since it's known, this is a known thing to those who know the secrets of the Kabbalah. All the mitzvah, there is the external, and there's the inside. So while we do the mitzvah in the very external sense, in the very practical sense, there's also the inner part of the mitzvah. So, what is the external part of the Shabbos? That means Hashem rested from physical doing. Just like Hashem ceased from creating the physical heavens and the earth, so we cease from any physical activity. What is Upnimius Shabbos? What is the inner part of the Shabbos? That is the intent when we daven on Shabbos. And when we study Torah on Shabbos, we have the inner to connect to Hashem, to connect to Hashem, one Hashem. That's what we do on Shabbos. As the verse says, Shabbos is to God your God. Shabbos is the time that we connect to Hashem. 
So that part, the positive of connecting to Hashem, davening and learning and being connected, zuhi bechina zocher. That is the level of remembering. That's the positive of zocher. What is to guard the Shabbos in the inner meaning? He gashmin that is resting from physical talk. Hashem, just as God has rested from the ten sayings from which the physical world was created. He says for the spiritual counters the physical. So when there is a rest in the physical. There is also a rest in this in the spiritual when we and now we're speaking our idols. So again, these are very lofty letter, le- levels. I mean, we're not up to uh, that level of ceasing in Shabbos in the uh, inner meaning of things. Sometimes we have to make sure that we are careful with Shabbos, even in the plain sense. But again, like I said, this is the expectation that the Alter Rebbe had from his. Hasidim and from those that follow his his encouragement and his rebuke that he gives them, he's telling them, he's trying to empower them, trying to strengthen them, that they should go along and that they should uh, be strong as far as their commitment to learning and davening and, uh, and, and the Shabbos and, and so on and so forth. So this finishes the Tanya and then it goes back to the beginning of the Tanya, then that's the end today, tomorrow we start. And in the beginning of the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe actually talks a lot about how a person can reach that level of love to God. How a person can reach the level of God. And he gives a lot of encouragement. Nobody should ever feel that they can't. And one needs to realize when we go out through life's journey, if we don't know the, the battles, we don't know some of the things that we need to do, then we don't know how to handle it. But when we have an idea what's the working, our inner workings. It's like medicine. When we know how our body works, then we know to what, how to respond and what to do. Actually, the word Tanya is a word in which many of the sentences of the Talmud begin. Torah, this is Nevi'im. No, it's not abbreviation. The word Tanya means we learned. We have learned in a brisa. Uh, this is a quote. The word, the name Tanya is based on the very first sentence that he opens up. He opens up with a sentence of the Talmud. Basically, the Tanya is built out of sources from the Talmud, from the verses, from the Kabbalah. It's mostly, not mostly, but it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of quotes. It's not a lot of preaching saying, it's not a lot of own. Everything in the Tanya is based on a source from where it comes from, which means they take a piece of Talmud. So the Rebbe begins the Talmud, the the Tanya, by quoting a statement of the Talmud. That's why it got the name Tanya. And then already it's been uh, uh, elucidated into meaning various different, articulated to mean different things, what the word Tanya means, and a whole lot of explanation. But I'm just telling you in the very simple, Tanya is a quote from the Talmud. In the, he starts off the uh, book of the Tanya with the word Tanya, and that's why it got the name Tanya uh, from the, in the simple text, but cert- in the simple context. But certainly there is reasons for that, and and uh, and uh, a lot of them are explained. But it's not an abbreviation like you like you said. It's not an abbreviation. It's just because of the name. And uh, he starts off with the with the pieces of Talmud to pr- prove 
his point that he's going to try to make. The, the Rebbe is trying to make, to prove a point of what's going on in the human soul, how things are happening. He's talking about the struggles and the battles that we have. He's, he's trying to explain to you what's really happening. He's trying to say that what's going on in your soul. He's sort of laying out a, a, a diagram of telling you, you know, what's going on inside you. And once you will know, then you may know how to overcome them. But I guess the first thing, as you know, as a doctor, the first thing, the patient has to come to the doctor and has to want to be healed. If he's not going to, if he has no desire of being healed, then he's not going to go to the doctor and he's not going to find out from the doctor what he should do. So if a person doesn't care about his spirituality, which unfortunately most of us don't have time for that or don't pay attention to that, so then we're not seeking for ways to heal ourselves because we don't feel that we're sick and we don't even know that we're sick. It's like the person who's sleeping in the, in the room there and having good dreams and we don't even know that we have anything to, to look for. So if we're at that level, then okay, you know, then it does mean that we live our lives, just a physical life. We're born, we live the years that God grants us and then we die and that's, we, we haven't really changed ourselves, changed the world or done anything productive around us. Now, of course, in a physical sense, if you can be making a difference in the world, of course you're doing a lot. There's no question to that. But I'm saying as far as trying to engage your spiritual part, you don't engage that. You know, you're just, you know, you let it go by. The people that the, that the Rebbe was talking to and the people in the time of the Altarebbe, they had, they were interested. They were, uh, they were trying to figure out how to help themselves. They were looking for a spiritual doctor. They were looking for a doctor who understands. The Alter Rebbe gave them different things in which they were able to, 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 to figure out how the workings are inside them and how they should overcome their, uh, their, 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 their situations by, by, by positive... Uh, so that's, that's what the Tanya is about. So first of all, we have to create a desire that we want to know what's going on. That's number one. And how do we create that desire? So sometimes it works backwards. We've got to study and learn about these things, and hopefully we'll have a desire to get closer to Hashem. You know, we have something, we have an experience. Uh, sometimes it comes from the inside-outside, sometimes it comes from the outside-inside. Now, by and large, we have to try to do as much as we can. You do another mitzvah, that mitzvah will draw you a little closer. You do another mitzvah, it'll be closer. So the mitzvahs are the ones, actually, that are pulling us in. And in some mysterious ways, the more we do, the more it drags us and the more interest they have and the more we have, a, hopefully, a meaningful life. You know, and that's, that's the purpose of the Tanya.